0: Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Before we jump in, whatever platform you're joining the conversation from today, we'd love for you to subscribe, download, and follow. Leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps out so much in spreading the podcast and all the content we share here uh, we're always eager to hear from you as well. Feel free to email us with any suggestions for topics, your thoughts, or feedback. Uh, you can do that at Nate at Story Ministries.com. Our episode today is uh, what we, we released uh, some highlights of Men's Conference, Legacy Conference uh, 2023. Uh, that's the Men's Conference here at Grace Story Ministries. Uh, we released some highlights of that um and uh the rest of for those that were at the conference um the timeline for uh the uh the actual archives to release is now the end of september uh we just got that update uh so they are coming uh, end of september but we wanted you to have something because we'd had some people uh message in and say hey i'd love to review some of this so uh, even those that did not go to conference, you're going to get a full uh, conference session today from none other than Grace Story favorite Kathy Sprinkle. We released her a uh, little bit of her episode, a highlight of it, uh, not too long ago after conference. Uh, so now we're going to release that that uh, session in its entirety, uh, one that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, so much in this episode. Um, Kathy herself, after several decades as a social worker, uh, she was working with at-risk youth, dysfunctional families, um, and then as a part-time graduate school instructor, Kathy joined the staff of Counseling Alliance in January of 2016. Uh, Her love of people, compassion, creative counseling techniques, and team approach to therapy are at the core of her counseling philosophy. And her love of people certainly comes through in uh, each presentation, each session that she does at Grace Story. We love having her, um, and she's always there uh, with a listening ear and compassion uh, to show. So without further ado, let's jump into that session uh, that Kathy Sprinkle had at Grace Story Men's Legacy Conference 2023.
1: I'm really excited to be here, guys. My name is Kathy Sprinkle, and basically I'm going to be taking you through some of what uh, Ryan talked about, adding a little bit to it. I am, as you heard earlier, an associate at uh, Counseling Alliance, been there for, I guess, gosh, eight years, Um, seeing some amazing people, seeing some brave people. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I'm not in absolute awe of the bravery of some of the people that come into my office. Talk a little bit later about counseling, but see, when you're in counseling, you go into an office with somebody that you don't know, and you don't know whether they're trustworthy or not. And that's always how I start out my sessions. The first time is, you don't know if I'm trustworthy. I am, but you don't know that yet. And the healing that can happen in the walls of a counseling office, because it's kind of, no, it's not kind of, it's a sacred space. People sit in my office and they sit on my couch or in my chair and they tell me things only Jesus knows about them. And that's a sacred, sacred space. But I'll make the pitch for that a little bit later. Um, Andy's up there I have a lot of uh, slides I'm going to show so I'll be going like this a whole lot to him tonight and you tonight about getting the story straight what's the story of your life what needs to happen what do we need to deal with because I know you guys all just really want to deal with that stuff right so we're going to talk about how we get the story straight so go ahead so part of it is being absolutely willing to unflinchingly look at some of the things that have happened in your life. And so that's really hard. We need to look at the mistakes you've made, the mistakes others have made. That's the reality that Ryan was talking about earlier. And then we need to be willing to understand that while others in your life may have done the best they could, it's not disloyal. It's not disloyal to them at all to get the reality in your life. See, if you and I are sitting in my office and we've got this big birthday cake in there and I've got the knife and you say, Kathy, will you give me the knife, please? And I stand up and I go to hand you the knife and I trip and I fall and I slice your thigh open. You're going to, I have a really pretty office. You're going to bleed all over on my nice couch. If I say, you know, I really never did like you since you came in here. I don't think you're a very good man. And I stab you in your thigh. You're going to bleed all over my nice couch. How you feel about me is different, whether I intentionally did it or I just accidentally tripped. But the truth is, you may still be bleeding. And see, tonight, maybe some of you, as we talk about families of origin, you may have come from the greatest family in the world. I haven't met a perfect family yet, but maybe that's kind of what I do living. But we all know our families weren't perfect. But maybe you need to hear this for your best buddy. Maybe you need to hear this for someone family so I just want you to hang with me as we look at we're not going to blame anybody tonight blaming our parents when I did the the trauma work that I do now back in the 80s we just took people back to look at their families of origin and we blamed their parents and we sat in a pity party that didn't work for me And then I was able to find some people who knew how to teach me, how to take people back and get the story straight. And then once you've got the story straight and you can say, that impacted me. My dad may not have meant to do that. My mother didn't mean to do that. But it impacts me today in my marriage and with my children. Then we can say, oh, now it's, if you choose to. Therapist, It's my responsibility with my therapist to figure out now, how do we unplug that? Because many of us go through life holding, okay, when you were a little kid, especially guys, girls did this suit, there were those hard uh, dodgeballs you know, that we like to kill people with. So we would take those when we were in the pool and we would hold them under the water, right? And you'd like to see how long you could hold it under the water. And at first, it's great, right? And then it gets a little bit harder, a little bit harder and finally your earlobes are hurting from holding it under the water. That's what we do when we haven't got our story straight. We're holding balls under the water and what happens when we let them go? Right, they come up and splash everybody around them. So I need for you to be brave enough to admit although you are forgiven from your, your poor decisions that scars may still remain We've all made bad decisions. We're all sinners saved by grace. But I wanna talk to you for just a second as we're deciding to go back and look at some things. The difference between guilt and shame. Now I know you've all heard that. Guilt is what I've done, shame is who I think I am. One of my friends several years ago, I have some really confrontive friends, thank God, literally thank God for, and one of them said, you make a lot of contracts with the enemy, Kathy. It's like, what? Now she said, God says this about you and the enemy says this about you, you, go with him every time. Well, sometimes he's got the goods on me, right? Sometimes he is right. So that sent me on this journey of trying to figure out the difference between guilt and shame and how I could get shame out of my life. Guilt can motivate us. Shame is saying, I am this thing. This thing that is rejected this thing that is guilty, this thing that is damaged in some sort of way. Here's the deal. Now, in my therapy, if you use the words always, never, or ever, I'm probably gonna say, hey, that's not true. You may feel like your wife always does this and she may feel like you never do that, but it's not accurate, it just feels that way. One of my exceptions to that rule is every single whisper of shame in the Christian's life is a lie, because your shame was nailed to the cross 2000 years ago. Grace can't even cover it because the blood of Jesus already did. So what we do sometimes is we resurrect that shame and we say, I am this, I am that. That's not gonna work guys. Except for really biblical things. I usually don't talk much in my counseling office about right and wrong, I talk about what's helpful. That's not helpful, okay? For us to go back time and time and time again and say, I am that because you put yourself in direct contradiction with what God says about you. Go ahead. Andy? Andy? (laughs) Go ahead. So, okay, this looks a little different. Um, I have a a special guest tonight. Dr. Rick Betts is here with me tonight. And you're going to hear, you heard me talk, you heard Ryan talk, and tomorrow you're going to hear Dr. um, Tim Barber. All of us are Timothy's of Dr. Rick Butts, who taught me how to do trauma work that actually heals people instead of blames people. So there's several things that every child needs. You needed it, your parents needed it, your children need it. The first thing is, every child needs to know that they're valuable. They're valuable not for how they look, whether they're athletic or or musically gifted, are valuable because they are. And if we don't get that, sometimes there's some wounding in our life that takes place for a long time. We need to be able to be vulnerable. That means we need to, and see, aren't we all struggling with that as adults? How to be vulnerable. Ryan spent a long time talking about that. How we are appropriately vulnerable with people. How we can show people who we are and be known because that's where true healing happens. Ryan said the healing happens in community, I think Nate said, healing happens in community. And we can't have true community until we have true vulnerability. And we learn or don't learn that usually with our family of origin. The number three thing is that a child needs to know that they can be imperfect. So I want you to think back, you're six years old, you're sitting um, at the dinner table and you spill the milk. What happens? The appropriate thing is one of your parents says, oh, sweetheart, come on, help me clean that up. If there was an explosion, you weren't allowed to be imperfect. And that's the safest place for children to be imperfect is in a safe home, right? But sometimes some of us grew up in homes where we could not be imperfect. Then there is dependent. Every child needs to know to grow into a functional adult how to be appropriately dependent that means not overly dependent which sometimes is codependency or not being anti-dependent which means I don't need anybody and I especially don't need community and I don't need the church and I don't need to be known in the middle of that is interdependence with others people who we let know us and the last thing that or spontaneous is the next one think about it and I stole this from Rick Betts it's the first day of, your little kid, you're about eight years old, it's the very first day of summer break, to um, the baseball field, and you got your bat over the shoulder, you got your glove right here, and you're going, and it's going to be sun, and you are so joyous, you just start to skip, because you'd explode if you didn't skip. We have to have that kind of joy within us. We have to have learned that as children or now learn it as adults because it's contagious and the joy of the Lord's our strength, right? But we have to have that spontaneity. And last, we have to have appropriate attachment. That usually happens between years one and three or zero and three. Some of us didn't get it. I didn't for sure. But we have to work on appropriate attachment to people. And that tends to happen an awful lot in the therapist's office of learning how to trust how to honor people, how to be vulnerable again, how we can be known and be a part of them and be appropriately attached to others in our lives. Andy? So Ryan was talking about grieving his father. And while most of the time we think of grieving as about death, I have in 28 or 29 years, maybe more than that, of doing therapy or doing counseling and social work, I've never met anybody that wasn't grieving something. So I just need to ask you, and oh, I forgot to tell you at the beginning of this, there's gonna be some like really dead space where I'm gonna let you think for a minute. I know I talk fast. So I'm gonna just sometimes ask a question and be quiet for a few seconds and let you reflect on it. So in getting your story straight, Where have been or what have been the major sources of grief in your life? What have they been? Andy, go ahead. Now, guys, can we agree that sometimes you guys aren't real good at this grieving stuff? Yes? Yes, okay. So, my favorite book in the world, other than the Bible, is A Christmas Carol. Because if you haven't read it and you've just seen all the stupid movies made about it, maybe you've seen a play, I don't know, read A Christmas Carol. It's the best story about redemption other than the Bible you'll ever read. It's beautiful. And it was the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And I figured out this last year that there's a whole lot of that in grieving because when we look at our past, most of us didn't have a past that was totally awful are totally great. So there was some really good and some really bad. And we're trying to figure out all this grieving stuff. So we're looking at this and we're like, well, it wasn't all bad, but it was pretty awful here. And that leads to the confusion of our present, especially if we decide to do therapy or we're trying to deal with some stuff in our lives. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all good. Now I'm confused, which leads to the future of looking into it and going, there are some things I have to accept that will just never be. I have to accept that this didn't happen and I needed it. I went through those six things. Maybe you didn't get those. It doesn't mean all is lost. It means we have to do something about that to get and keep our story straight. So once again, the past is a mixture of good and bad, which brings us to the confusion of today, and which leads us if we want to deal with the future of, what do I do What do I need to accept? What can I change? We're not powerless here. What can I change and what do I just need to accept will never change. And for whatever reason, God has ordained that or somebody else messed up, but God allowed it. What do I need to figure out that I need to just accept? So let's get the story straight about numbing. Numbing's a big thing we do and we don't wanna deal with stuff, right? One of the things I realized in working with many people that are struggling with addiction, by the way, I do a lot of rabbit trails. Steve, that Ryan was talking about earlier, dear friend and wonderful counselor, and I do a lot of work with sex addiction. And he and I were dealing with a couple, I was working with the betrayed wife and he was working with the addict. And we'd been doing this for a while and I said, something about the guy being an addict. And Steve, who had never spoken a negative word toward me, said, I don't like the way you said that. Excuse me? I said, Steve, are we talking about the same people admitted sex addict? And he said, it's the way you said it. You said it too casually. He is a person who struggles with addiction and he is also a brother, a son, a friend, a father, a husband, and a child of God. He is not the worst thing he's ever done. That's something he's struggling with now, so his sex addiction's right here. But I just want to throw that out in case the enemy wants to tell you that you're the worst thing you've ever done. It's a lie. You are all of these things, and you are also struggling with that piece of it. Make sense? So what we do when we don't want to deal with stuff is we numb. Chocolate. Ask your wives about it we're good at it by the way if you ever walk in and you see your wife eating ice cream straight out of the tub just back away slowly okay (laughs) back yes dear we'll talk about it later so there's all sorts of ways that we numb ourselves and some of them are more societally appropriate than others we we drink people drink to excess people eat to excess Been struggling with that because I'm diabetic and trying to figure out, am I really addicted to chocolate or not? And the answer is probably yes. Drugs, pornography, entertainment, busyness. Mm, Now, that's one of the ones that's societally okay, right? You can work a 60-hour week and not deal with what's going on in your marriage. You can do all this because you're doing it for your family. And you know what? Working hard's not wrong. It's whatever the intent of that is. Busyness, your career, religion. Yeah, I had to throw that one in. Because I think in my life, I'll just talk about me. In my life, there is nothing that I can't make an idol out of. If You give me enough time, and if I'm far enough away from the Lord and not listening to the Holy Spirit, I can make things from his hand into an idol. So I just want you to also understand that that can be our religion I'm not talking about a religion, not about our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's different. But how we serve the church, what we're involved with, with our religion, may be masking things that we need to actually spend some time dealing with. Just throwing that out there. Okay, Andy. So I loved when Ryan was talking about accountability because guys, that's really a big deal. I talked to a client Last night, and he gave me permission to tell this. This guy has worked hard to have accountability. He struggles with pornography. He's doing great. He's awesome. I, just, I love when he comes in. One of the things that any therapist friend of yours can tell you, like my therapist down here can tell you, a great client makes you a better therapist, right? Because they, they call us to be better therapists at what we do, and he's awesome. But he, several years ago, learned that he had to build a true accountability group—not just "what have you done wrong?" Tell me about that. But people that will hold them up. And one time we were doing, and he—he he knew that in advance, and he told his friend, um, "I'm going to be doing a really hard thing. I'm going to confront my father. We're going to bring the father into the room in his mind's eye, and confront his father on some pretty awful stuff." And it was a hard session, and he was so brave. And when he walked out of my office, his friend, I'll call him John, his friend John was standing there waiting for him. Wow. Now, you may not have people like that in your life. I hope to God you do, I do. I've got some amazingly confrontive friends in my life that have earned the right to speak that way to me. I finally told my best friend the other, it's probably about a year ago, for 44 years, whenever she's getting ready to put her foot squarely in my rear end, she will say, my last name is Sprinkle, and that's what most of my friends call me. And she'd say, Sprinkle, I'm just wondering. Ooh. Wondering that. Some of them went like this. I'm just wondering, because you say you believe this, and then I'm seeing you do this. Help me understand that. Is that the nicest way in the world you've ever been called a hypocrite? <laughs> so I finally told her, which really messes it up now, because now I don't know when she's getting ready to kick me. But if, Okay. We are all jerks. We're recovering jerks. And you can be, someday I'm over here and some days I'm over here, but we're all recovering jerks. And if you don't have at least three or four people in your life that'll tell you when your jerk is showing, I think you're in danger. Now, the old adage is, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time today? Same thing with your, with your accountability people, with people that'll talk to you and tell you and not just tell you what you're doing that's wrong, but tell you who they see you to be. They see you to be this, and they're sad that you're not living up to the man that they believe you are. So you have to have some of those. So if you don't have those, I hope you'll start working on that because it's so incredibly important. So you have to choose, as Ryan's talked so great about, safe people. And clients do this all the time. You send up those trial balloons. Let's see if he can handle that. Let's see if he can handle that. And then you figure out whether they're safe or not. Because there's few things that'll set you back on your road to being vulnerable than having somebody mess you over when you've like shared your heart with them. So you do have to be careful that you need safe people in your life and finding those safe people sometimes is you know, a road. You have to choose to be known put and choose to put down your defensiveness. Ooh. I see a lot of that in my office with couples, not just with men, I see it with women too, where the person pours their heart out and they're being vulnerable about, when you did this, it really hurt me really bad. And the other one was like, which is all about defensiveness, laying down defensiveness. You cannot be defensive and vulnerable at the same time. They are absolutely polar opposites. So if you're deciding you want to learn to be vulnerable, you have to learn to lay down your defensiveness. That is not saying you don't tell the truth about something you see that's maybe different than the person you're talking to, but that immediate defensiveness that completely obliterates what they just said so that you can be heard. Choosing to tell the whole truth. Okay, this is is my definition of a lie. Do I always live up to it? That would be a lie. Anything I say or choose not to say, anything I do, or choose not to do that leads someone else to a false conclusion is a lie. If I leave this much out knowing that you'll think that, that's a lie, as much as if I told it. So anything I say or choose not to say, anything I do or choose not to do that leads someone to a false conclusion is a lie. So if we choose to tell the whole truth, it's gonna cause some problems sometimes. And I'm talking about the defensiveness part of it. Not telling your wife that. If she says, does this dress make me look fat? There's no answer to that, guys. I don't care what you say. There's no good answer to that, okay? So that's not what I'm talking about, about telling the truth. I'm talking about telling the truth when it makes you look bad sometimes. Okay? Choosing to be humbled or pruned for future growth. Humility is one of those weird things, isn't it? Because if you think you have it, you don't. So just trying to have a humble spirit. I'm crazy. And waters, I'll just tell you that I work with him a lot and he has a humble spirit you guys know that he does and, and it's a humble spirit that will, that's learned that is willing to be taught and that's a whole lot of humility is learning to be taught by your friends and by the Holy Spirit by your relationship with God and your relationship in your church that you can prune that stuff off of you to get and keep your story straight Andy so what about counseling this is a time I talk about counseling Here's the deal we don't bite. Most of us are housebroken. (laughs) Sometimes. Um, We are safe people. We choose to be safe people. We keep your confidences. We hear some really horrible stories, and we have to keep those confidences. So we try to really be safe. Most of us have been in counseling. Ryan talked about being in counseling. I was in counseling. Here's the deal if you decide to be in counseling. Do not see a counselor who hasn't been in counseling. If they don't believe in their product, don't buy it from them, okay? It's like the head of Ford, like driving a Chevy. It's like, uh -uh, you know, you need to have somebody because it's different to be on the other side of that couch. Like I think I said earlier, it's like, you don't know if I'm trustworthy or not. That's a big deal. But I get that a little bit because I've seen a couple of counselors. I get what it's like to be there that first time and have to spill your guts on stuff that you'd just as soon not do, but you've been holding the ball under the water too long and it's time for it to come up. You don't have to be crazy to be in therapy. You don't have to be diagnosable even. You just need to come with an issue that for some reason you can't figure out how to deal with, whether it's in your past, your present, or your future. I, I'm... I'm I'm at a loss for this. There's a 50-cent counseling word I'll teach you tonight. It's called a scotoma, And a scotoma is defined as no matter how like self-realized or how strong of a Christian you are, there are certain things in your life you just can't see. It's like in your car. There's that one place, you know, there's always a blind spot. We all have blind spots. And the truth is, if you're in a truly accountable, strong group of men, they've seen that scotoma a long time ago. They saw that thing. They accepted you, knowing that bad thing about you or that difficult thing about you. So, you have to be able to let somebody speak into that for you. We're trained. We're trained to see the things you can't, and that's why most therapists need to be in therapy because we've got the schizotomia too, and we can't see those things. This weekend, um, we'll be at the Counseling Alliance uh, booth, and if you want to talk to any of us about stuff. Just ask us about it. Ask us about what it's like to be in counseling. Ask us about what we do. Ask us about why we think we can do what we do. If you're skeptical about counseling, we can handle that. I promise you. Go ahead, Andy. This blew me away, guys. We're going to be talking about some things from this hymn. So a week ago, about a week ago, I thought, I need to get a hold of the worship team that's gonna be performing and ask them if they'll sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And then I thought, well, that was kind of presumptuous of me. And so I didn't, and they sang it. One of my favorite hymns of all time, it just slays me and it slayed me when they did it. If you're a little more seasoned, some of the younger people may not know this one as much. You may remember singing, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help have come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Okay. As a typical American, I'm just going to read this part to you. As a typical American, you may know many things. You may know how to solve for X, though I have long forgotten. You may know how to operate your new smartphone or not. I always find out when I get a new phone, it's smart and I'm not. It's always smarter than me. You know that politics can make you crazy, and whatever new thing or person is in the 24-hour news cycle will last about that long, 24 hours. You know you're a sinner saved by grace, that God loves you, although you do struggle with that at times. So while we're trying to get your life straight and the story straight, who or what are your Ebenezer's? Remember I told you I really liked a Christmas carol. <laughs> what's an Ebenezer and what's its purpose in my life? Go ahead. Most of you probably know about this from the Old Testament. It was called a stone of help. And you can find it numerous times in the Old Testament. When God would do something amazing in, in the life of the, Israel, or the Israelites, they, would, they knew that they'd forget Every one of us in here has heard a sermon or read a book that changed our lives and six months later we couldn't remember anything about it. We just remembered that it had done that. They would set a stone of remembrance and the stone of remembrance said, this is where God showed himself faithful to me, to my family, to my people. And they would set those stones up. And I I have been crazy about Ebenezer's ever since I first learned about that because I know that I had the attention span of a gnat And my gratefulness sometimes is even less than that. And I'll be, oh God, I'll never forget. What was it you did? Okay. We're going to be talking about setting stones. Go ahead. What do you dare not forget about his faithfulness? Causes for Ebenezer's stones of remembrance. I'm going to give you just a second to think about that. Go ahead. So what are your Ebenezers and where are they located? Let's go looking for some of them, okay? I love this scripture. It's it's it is my scripture. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Now I know just enough Greek to be dangerous, but what I do know is in that scripture it means He will continue to continue to continue to continue to perfect that work in you. The good news is, is some days we're gonna look like Jesus. Hopefully, every day we look a little more like Him, but someday we're gonna look like Jesus. The bad news is how long it's gonna take us to get there, because it's a lifelong thing, a lifelong thing for us to get there. Go ahead. So, what is this good work that He's completing in you? When did God start the good work? If he says there's a good work in you, there is. When did he start it? What is it? What was the good work? It's not always just when we came to salvation, which is certainly the good work he's completing. There's other things in our lives that he started that we watch complete. Years ago, Dr. Barber, who will be teaching tomorrow, he came to me years ago and said, "Why, why don't you do some work? We were both working for Cincinnati Christian University. And he said, why don't you come do some stuff in the counseling center I heard that you like sometimes working with teenagers. I was like, I don't want to be a therapist. I'm a college professor. I do admissions. I wouldn't want to be a therapist. But God had set that in my mind, and it took several years to complete that work. That's a work, too, not my salvation. So I'm going to be quiet for a second while you set a stone. What is the work, the good work, that he is completing in you? Ernest Hemingway, this is a very favorite quote of mine. Now, Ernest Hemingway, if you don't know, was a mess. You know, he was an alcoholic. I, he killed himself. I mean, it was a mess. But, man, wisdom is wisdom. And he said, life breaks everyone, and afterward, many are strong in the broken places. Hmm. So where was the place that he was the very glue that held your tattered life together? Your shattered dreams, your tattered faith. Where did he hold that together? Where are you strong now because you chose to be weak then or had no choice but to be weak then? Think about that instead of stone. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so, good people, good, upstanding people but just weren't interested in the things of God. And so I was 12 years old before I learned my first scripture. It was Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes all things. I used to do some deaf interpreting. This is all. He calls all things to work together for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, all things. So I've several times in my life had to dare God about that. um, How many of you guys know the, the song, Our God is an Awesome? Our God is an Awesome, yeah. Long time ago. The guy that wrote that was my best friend. His name was Rich Mullins. And we were, we never dated. We were just, we were brother and sister. From the time we met, 21 years, just brother and sister. And he was killed in a car accident 26 years ago, I think it was. And I was like, What? I had no idea what to do with that I had no idea what my life looked like without him and our gang of friends that we were so close to and I remember the night before the funeral my best friend and I were just driving or walking around the, when I say best friend we've had several and they're just thicker than thieves been 47 years together we kept walking and walking and walking and walking and walking, and like the sun was starting to rise, and we finally admitted to each other, we thought if we kept walking, the sun wouldn't rise. We wouldn't have to go to his funeral. We wouldn't have to sing it as well with my soul and be lying. And we didn't know what to do with it. Because I'd been through this Romans eight twenty eight with God several times, I dared him. I remember that night, and see, <laughs> I told somebody else this earlier today, if you haven't been grateful today that I'm not God, add that to your grateful list, because with everything God has given me, he allows me to question him. I would flick me into Venus, gone. But he let me say, I dare you. I dare you to put my life back together again. I dare you to find me a new ministry. I care about as much as this. I dare you to pull all of us together when we are so wounded and it was such a public thing. And I didn't know, and I'm standing here and tell you today that he showed me. But first of all, Rich is having a better day than we're having, okay? And I know him in a way I never knew him before and that's worth everything. Where are the places? Just start thinking about that. Where are the places where you could dare him to say, this is so bad, God. I'm sorry, Romans 8, 28 just doesn't, ha- doesn't hack it for me here. Sorry about that. You'll find many of those. I want to tell you about, that goes with Romans eight twenty eight. This is the Kathy Sprinkle chocolate chip cookie theology. Okay. How many of you like chocolate chips? Yes. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Chocolate chip cookies. Right. Okay. This is a little easier to do with women, but can you speak out and tell me what are some of the ingredients of chocolate chip cookie dough? What? Chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. Good. What else? Flour. Flour, yes. Eggs. Eggs baking soda. Ooh, you're good. Who said that? You're, you're really good. What else? Butter, vanilla. So why don't you go home tonight? Cause I really, I know this recipe pretty well. So if you like chocolate chip cookie dough, why don't you go home tonight? It's two and a quarter cup of flour and two eggs and some butter and just drink it all down. You said you like chocolate chip cookie dough. There are many times, guys, in our lives, the ingredients don't taste good by themselves, do they? When something happens and we're going, God, where are you? You said you would be here. You said you would do this. And right now, my life tastes like flour and raw eggs. But the good news is, Romans eight twenty eight he causes all things to work together. He, like a good baker, works all those ingredients together and when he puts them in the fire... Some good things come out in the end. But it doesn't mean it tastes good at the time. Go ahead. So why are stones of remembrance important? I'm spending all this time talking about that. We'll go back to our, our ghosts. We got to know where we came from. Set a stone. We, we need to know where we are now. Set a stone. We need to know what stones we want to set for the future. We need to recall his grace and mercy in the past. Once again, we're humans. We're going to forget we're gonna forget what he did to clarify the confusion of the present and to accept your future and the knowledge of your many, many, many Ebenezers. And this whole theme is about, about well, I'm talking about getting, the, the, getting your story straight, but the theme of this conference is legacy. You gotta get your story straight if you wanna get it to your progeny. If you wanna pass on Goodness. If you want to pass on God's mercy, you've got to remind your children where He's been faithful to them. Where you set that stone in Ebenezer and said, This is where you were too little to remember this, son, but this is where God showed Himself to be faithful to us. This is where our family took a turn. This is why He is good and why we serve Him. We have to be able to do that for our kids. I love the scripture in the Old Testament it talks about when do we, when do we, um, Teach our children when we rise up and when we go to bed and when we walk along the way. I think that's every time, right? That's that's your whole day. You're teaching, teaching by your life. You're teaching by your words. But we got to get this thing straight of where has he been faithful so that our kids and our grandkids go, yeah, he's a good God.
0: Wow. So much in that uh, that, that session. and she walked us through even more after after that uh, there are some things that you just can't get without going to conference so if you'd like to be at men's conference uh, this uh, this coming year or women's conference this year head on over to com and you'll be able to see all the information there uh, and message in uh, for any discounts group rates things like that that we can help you with we'd love to see you at conference and uh, well thank you for listening. To this episode, if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, give us a follow there, tap a five-star rating, and drop a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a follow and hit that notification bell to never miss an episode. We're always eager to hear from you, so feel free to email us with any suggestions for topics, your thoughts, or feedback. You can do that at nate at There is no us without you, so get engaged continue on your journey of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks for a new episode, and until then, we'll be praying for you.